You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today, as we get into the Word, the message title is Defeating Fear. Defeating Fear. We're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 3. Uh, Timothy is, uh, there's first and second Timothy are letters written by the apostle Paul towards the, in fact, second Timothy is believed to be the last thing that Paul wrote, uh, certainly that's included in the canon of scripture. But, uh, and, and so he is writing this as a letter to encourage his spiritual son, Timothy, who's seen God work in his life. He's, uh, kind of a pastor, a leader of, of what's really the largest, church in the Mediterranean at this time. They believe, uh, scholars believe that over 40,000 Christians, uh, people had come to Christ in the city of, of Ephesus, and Timothy's kind of become their, their pastor, as, has been uh, really an apostolic voice in that, that city. Uh, but he's also a young man, and he's experienced uh, some intimidation and some fear and some different things. And so Paul writes to him to encourage him, and here's what he says, 2 Timothy 1, verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience. As my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers day and night, night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. See, I think the most important inheritance we can leave is our faith, that we invest in the, 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 found, the spiritual foundation of every generation that comes after us. Uh, and here's what he says, therefore I remind you, He's, as, as a spiritual father, he's stirring something and he, he's encouraging something in Timothy. He says, I remind you to stir up, some translations say, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, uh, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Tim, Paul often imprisoned, and at this time in prison for preaching Jesus, who has saved us. He says he saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, our own effort, our own ability, or our own goodness. But he says not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he has given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of, sa- of our Savior, Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. And here's why he says that. For I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. We reread verse seven. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. I think more than any other time in our life, uh, in our generation, we've had fear become a part of everyday living, everyday uh, response, everyday uh, decisions, uh, and, and the more we see going on in the world, the more we can create a 
culture and an environment of fear. But the good news is that Jesus overcame. And so fear does not have to be what drives and motivates or limits your life. But faith is what moves us forward. Jesus is what moves us forward. I've got a few points for you today talking about faith and fear, but especially targeting because we want to see fear defeated in the lives of every single believer in Jesus. Fear is something that you don't have to be bound by. You don't have to be held back by. You don't have to be afflicted by. Fear often masquerades in different forms, and we don't recognize it as fear, but fear is always fear, and it produces the same results in the lives of people that, that have it influencing their heart. And fear comes in the form of anxiety. It comes in the form of worry. It comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes, but fear always does the same couple things in our lives. And I want you to see this because this verse is very familiar for us, but it paints fear in a different light than most of us approach fear. We look at fear as just a feeling. You know, I, I think of, uh, you know, I've, I've told you this before, but if, if a spider walks across my dashboard in my car, I'm lighting my car on fire. I remember one time I'm sitting in a cell phone parking lot at the Tampa airport, and I'm waiting for somebody who's coming late that night uh, that I'm picking up. And while I'm waiting at the cell phone parking lot, I'm watching. I've got, I think I had an iPad or something. I'm watching a movie, and I've got, I'm sitting there watching this. And all of a sudden, from the glow of my iPad, I can see this little shape of something crawl across my steering wheel. And then I realize what it is, and uh, I don't know what other people thought was happening in my car, but I'm pretty sure they thought somebody was getting murdered because <laughs> it was not, not a good, I, it was not my best moment, I'll just say that. Uh, fear is, number one, fear is more than a feeling. Fear is an enemy. See, we've got to recognize this. He describes fear as not just the feelings of fear and the emotions of fear, while those are real and those are a part of it, but he actually points to something that's even more serious, and it's an actual spiritual enemy. He describes God has not given you a what? Spirit of fear. The spirit of fear is something that is actively at work to try to undermine and stop the purpose of God in our lives. And, and unfortunately, when, when we accept it or tolerate it instead of fight it, we live in a diminished experience of what God has for us because of what fear produces. So you can agree with it, you can submit to it, or you can resist it and overcome it. And that's what I want to challenge you to do today, and I want to give you some keys to overcoming fear no matter how it takes its shape in your life. See, it's, you know, if I was ever uh, talking with somebody that had a toxic codependent relationship with somebody, I would try to help them break the, the dependency uh, and help them navigate that in a healthy way. Well, it's no different than fear. Many people settle into a dependency on fear where they don't know how to function without fear affecting their life. They don't know. It's almost like a garment they wear every day. They don't know how to see the world through, through faith. Uh, Jason described the shield of faith today. Uh, that that it's, they, Instead of raising the shield of faith, fear is the response. Instead of praying, fear becomes the, what dictates their, the course of action they take and also uh, the way they speak about their situation. They developed a dependency on worry, anxiety, and fear. And I understand there's times where we've allowed worry to so shape our life that, that we don't know what to do but worry. 
But we're actually not just encouraged not to worry, we're commanded not to worry. No matter what's happening in our life, and there's plenty of stuff in the world to try to worry about without Jesus. Are, are you with me? And you don't even need world events to just, you know, you just sometimes, even in your own life, can look at circumstances, diagnosis, uh, relationships, things that, that, that business situation, all, all of that. You know, I've been preaching for three weeks on detours, and uh, I was just had a, 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 somebody in our church I was talking to, I just a couple months ago experienced a major career change as they were let go from their job, and that was a moment where they could have allowed fear and worry to affect them. But they, I, I'll share their testimony, part of it, in a minute. But I want you to see this because when we, you know, the Bible says in 1 John 4, 18, fear involves torment. It's toxic, it's destructive, it's unhealthy, and it's rooted in what we believe. Faith is, faith, the Bible says, comes by hearing and hearing by God's word. When I hear the word of God, it stirs and awakens faith. When I hear a testimony like you heard today of what Jesus has done in somebody's life, as, as God's worked in their life, when I have faith as my response, I have an expectation that if God can do it in one life, he can do it in my life. If God can do it for one person, he'll do it for every person. If God can do it there, he can do it again. But it's, it's so many times, instead of faith, where we respond in fear. We don't approach fear as an enemy to be overcome. And this is important. So, so in the very beginning, God's speaking to Cain, who is disheartened because of the results of Abel, his brother's offering's been accepted and his hasn't been. And the root of that essentially is that Abel brought to God what God wanted. Cain brought to God what Cain wanted. And that was the difference. Uh, but, but Abel's offering was accepted. Cain's was not. God comes to Cain and says, why are you discouraged? Why are you downcast if you do well? In other words, if you just do what I you know, called you to do, uh, you know, it'll be accepted. And so that's what God comes to Cain and says that. And here's what I want you to catch, because Cain, of course, you know the story. We know of Cain because of what he does to his brother. And, and sin is, is awakened in his life. Out of anger, he kills his own brother. Out of jealousy and striving and all of this. And, and here's what God tells him. He says, if you don't obey or respond the way I'm calling you to, here's what happens. Sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you, but listen to this last part. You should rule over it. And you know, just like sin's desire is to overcome, undermine, destroy, overwhelm us, set the course, so does fear. And it's no different. Fear's desire is to affect and even run your life, but you should rule over it. No matter what it is that the enemy uses to steal, kill, and destroy from our lives, you're meant to rule over it because of Jesus. Matthew 8. Uh, Matthew 8 is the story of Jesus going. They're crossing the Sea of Galilee, as they did a couple times, in a boat. And along the way, they encounter a storm. It's funny how many times in the Bible there's a storm. An unexpected storm. And Jesus is in the boat with the disciples, and he's told them we're going to cross over to the other side. And, and, uh, and while they're crossing over, Jesus falls asleep. He takes a nap. And, and while he's sleeping in the boat, his head on a pillow, here's what it says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. When his disciples got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose in the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and woke him and said, Lord, save us, we're perishing. 
One of the other gospels accounts says, don't you, they, they, they shouted to him, don't you care we're going to die? How could he be sleeping? Jesus' response to them is so important, and I think it's important for us as believers, as followers of Jesus. Here's what he says. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? He would only correct them with those words if it meant that their fear was no longer authorized. <laughs> if, it, if that was not to be their condition, if instead of fear they should have had faith, why? Because of who was with them in the boat. Because of what he was intending to do. He said, we're crossing over to the other side. Get in the boat. They cross over. Jesus is in the boat. But the moment they faced a storm, they began to reinterpret who God was. And they begin to see Jesus through the lens of fear. Don't you care? We're going to die. Wake up. He's got peace. He is peace. And he rebukes the wind and he rebukes the waves. But the heart of it, he tells them, he says, why are you fearful? How is it you have such little faith? Number two, fear will do one of two things. Fear will either pressure you or paralyze you. When I saw that spider, I was pressured to get out of that car. <laughs> I, I remember, uh, this is years ago in Florida. Florida has uh, the the... the where we lived in Florida, I'm sure most of the states like this, there, you know, it's of course like beachy sand almost everywhere. So even in the middle of town, you know, digging the ground and it's like this beachy sand. The problem with that sand is it attracts ants like crazy. And so, so I remember when I was a youth pastor, I was, I'd be driving the church van with all the kids because that's what youth pastors do. They load up a, an old van with a bunch of kids. And, uh, and so I'm driving the kids to these different church events, and I, I started to notice something happening one day, that ants were getting into the church van. And I'm not scared of ants like I am spiders. I don't have that same problem. But what I found out that did give me pause is that the ants were finding themselves in the air vents as I was cranking up the AC. And so as the ants are climbing into the AC and there was a steady stream of ants, they were shooting out of the air vents, launching at me. <laughs> it's a true story. So apparently I have an issue with bugs in a car. Uh, fear will either pressure you or paralyze you. We get the paralyzing thing, but what about pressuring? Sometimes we are pressured by worry, anxiety, fear to make hasty decisions, not based on what God has called us to do, but based on our feelings or our fear. And instead of obeying what God's called us to do, we're actually driven or motivated by pressure. 1 Samuel 13 tells the story of this. Uh, actually shows both. Verse 5, the Philistines are gathered. This is the first king. This is before David. Uh, king Saul has be recently become king of all Israel. And one of the first things he does is raise an army. He raises a standing army to fight their enemies, the Philistines. And he's preparing to go to war. And he's gathered his troops. And he's ready to go. In fact, they've had some minor successes already. And the Philistines gather their forces, and here's what happens in verse 5. The Philistines gather together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore a multitude. Uh-oh. The enemies gather. Verse 6, when the men of Israel saw that, they were rallied in confidence. 
No, they were in danger. They saw they were in danger for the people were distressed. So Saul's army does something. They hide. Because when fear paralyzes, it always causes you to withdraw from the very place, the very ground, the very assignment that you've been called to. Paul tells Timothy, stir up the gift of God that's in you. I know it's in you. I laid hands on you. I prayed for you. That gift is in you. It's in your life. But right now, something is dictating whether or not that gift is active, and it's fear. He says, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, Timothy. Why would he say that right after he said, stir up the gift? I don't know. Maybe, just possibly, Timothy had buried what God had placed in him. And any time we allow fear, the fear of failure... I know a lot of people that aren't doing the thing God's called them to do because they're afraid of not making it, afraid of what might not happen, what might go wrong. They're afraid of the fear of rejection. They're motivated by the fear of rejection. What, if I do this, what will they say? Can I just help somebody? I, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, this might hurt your feelings. But this is absolutely true because I've had this in my own life. Whoever you are motivated more to please, that's your God. Because the one I say yes to, the one I am motivated to find approval with, that's who's actually directing my life. And so, so they're hiding in caves, in the thickets and rocks and holes and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan, and as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people he had left, they're following him trembling. Like this, I got to give Saul a little bit of slack here to say, you know what, his troops, they're having a bad day. Like the battle hasn't even been fought, and these guys are running. So he waits for seven days according to the time set by Samuel, who's the prophet, who would come and share God's word. Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from Saul. So Saul said, bring me an offering, bring me peace offerings, burnt offerings here to me. And so he offered the burnt offering. He does something spiritual. He does something that in other contexts would be a good thing, even a God thing. The problem is he's motivated not by what God has told him, but instead by pressure. He's trying to do something to keep his troops together. He's trying to do something. And so we, rather than wait for Samuel to show up and say what God is saying, he goes, I, I got to do something because people are panicking. And so here's what he does. He has an offering. And now it happened. And, and just so you know, in the Old Testament context, he's not a priest. He's, he's, it's illegal for him to make an offering. Only Samuel the priest and the prophet would do that. So Samuel said, what have you done? Samuel shows up, verse 10, excuse me. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the offering, Samuel shows up and Saul went out to meet him and he, that he might greet him. And Samuel says, what in the world have you done? And Saul responds with something that I want you to catch this morning. Saul responds, this is the king of Israel. This is the leader of Israel's armies. More importantly, he's the one that God's anointed and chosen and called to do this. God wouldn't have called him to do that if God was gonna let him be defeated by the Philistines. He's got a covenant with the living God. That should be what motivates his life. What is God saying? Instead, here's what happens. What have you done, Samuel says. And Saul's response, when I saw that the people were scattered and that you didn't show up when I thought you would. Anybody ever make the wrong decision out of God's timing because you were, don't raise your hand. 
because you were motivated more by what you saw or didn't see instead of what God was saying. God, if, if you don't come through, like today, I've got to do this. That, that's kind of where Saul's at. Samuel's not showing up, so I got to do something. And, and, and this has consequences that are far-reaching. Here's why. He says, when I saw that, I felt compelled. Verse 12 says, the Philistines are coming down to me at Gelgal, and I've not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled, so I offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said, you've actually done foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord, which he commanded you. For now, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Wow. But now your kingdom will not continue. In other words, Samuel's telling him, God could have made your kingdom last forever. But it can't because what's motivating your life is not what God said. It's fear. Fear produces temporary results, temporary relief, but it ultimately causes you to withdraw from the very ground that God has intended. How many of us have things buried in our life that God has called us to use? Fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of the future. What's going to happen? What's going to happen in the world? The spirit of fear fills us. See, see in, in the verse that Paul wrote to Timothy, here's what he said. He, he says, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. What has he given you? Power, love, and a sound mind. If that's what God's given us, what does the spirit of fear produce? Well, the opposite, in fact. It produces powerlessness. Fear makes you feel powerless. It makes you feel rejected. The opposite of love. And it also leaves you with, instead of a sound mind, it leaves you with an anxious and divided mind. That's what fear produces. That's why it's so destructive, and that's why we have to go to war with it. But here's the good news. Number three, knowing Jesus is the key to overcoming fear. Knowing Jesus is the key to overcoming fear. Isaiah 28, 16 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Those of you who know the New Testament know what he's talking about. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is our foundation. He is our cornerstone. Fear has a way of revealing what we've trusted in, what we've built our lives on. What are we really depending on? Where do we find our security? Where do we find our confidence? Where do we find our acceptance? And, and so here's what he says. Whoever believes... Whoever believes will not act hastily. In other words, believers are not meant to be driven like Saul, moved by fear. Do you see what's going on? We got to do this. We got to do that. No, no. We don't respond in fear, but we do respond to what heaven had said. Paul said, I know who I am believing in. I know who I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep. What's Paul saying? He says, I believe God. I believe Jesus. I've seen him be faithful. I've seen him walk with me and, and, and guide and provide and, and make a way. So you don't have to fear. Faith is actually the opposite, I believe, of fear. Faith is the opposite. Just like fear paralyzes and fear pressures us, faith does something. Faith gives you the confidence to stand on the word. Confidence to stand on the promise. John, the apostle, would later write, he said, this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. How does 
faith give you victory? Because the moment you believe, the moment you believe what God has promised, we talked last week about the promise of God. God's going to do what he said he'll do. The moment I believe, I've already won. Come on, church. That's, that's what faith does. So you don't have to fear rejection. Why? Because you're already accepted in Jesus. <laughs> I, I, I wish we would catch that. What would you do if you were unafraid? I, I mean, seriously, what would you do for God if what people thought was not on the table? You don't have to fear failure because he's already promised to be with you every step of the way. And even when we don't hit the mark, he's there to lift us. He's there to help us. He's there to teach us. And he's there to redeem and bring out of the broken places of our lives his purpose and his good. I don't have to fear the enemy even. Some people are scared of what the devil's doing. I'm not. Neither should you be. Why? Because Jesus has already won. You don't have to fear the future. Why? Because he's already secured your future. Look at the end of the book. He's won. <laughs> oh, church, come on. That's good news. Number four, fourth and final point is this. We overcome with the opposite spirit. If God has not given me and you the spirit of fear, that means I don't have to tolerate its presence in my life. I, I, don't, have to, I don't have to surrender to it. But instead, I've been given something so much better, and that's God's spirit. The Holy Spirit has given you, he, he lists it, three things. So, so as a Christian, it starts with knowing Jesus. But how many of you know the day you got saved was not the last day you would have to overcome fear? It's not the last day that you would fight feelings of fear or have to deal with how do I, how do I trust you, God, when I want to worry? How do I depend on you when I'm trying to figure it out on my own? It's not the last day, but it starts with Jesus, and then he pours out the Holy Spirit, and he gives us three things that we have available to every single one of us. That I believe that if we'll walk in this, it'll give us the success and the keys we need to overcome and actually crush fear in our lives. We need to crush it. First, he says there's power. Power. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Do you know, he, he didn't just give you the Holy Spirit so you could have goosebumps. I know people that have goosebumps and then they live their entire lives in fear. What if you and I became bold because of what you and I have available to us through the Holy Spirit? Church, the Holy Spirit's not optional. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's not optional. Um, I think it was A.W. Tozer who said that if you were to take the Holy Spirit out of the early church, 95% of what they did would stop immediately. If you were to take the Holy Spirit out of the modern church, 95% of what we do would probably continue without even noticing a difference. That, to me, speaks of dependency. How dependent am I, am I on the Holy Spirit in my life? The result of dependency is his power to overcome. See, people who become, 
when you're filled with him, filled with God's word, filled with faith, filled with the Holy Spirit, the result will be boldness. Not timidity, not fear, not, not the paralyzing effects of fear. You won't bury the gifts that God has placed in your life, but instead you'll use them to make a difference in the world. The second one is love. Fear involves torment. He said that in 1 John 4, 18, but here's the good news. There's no fear in love, for perfect love casts out all fear. The, res- the way I displace the presence of fear in my life is receiving on a continual basis God's love in my own heart. Really believing deep down on the inside. I know we sing it, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, but do we believe it? I can sing stuff I don't believe. Nobody's ever done that in church. Nobody's ever done that. They've never sung stuff they don't believe. Here's the problem. In fact, that's at the root of religion is when we start tolerating and accepting in our own lives saying the words without believing it in our heart. And we adopt a form of godliness that's empty of power to change our lives. But God's love pours into us. God's love lets you know you're accepted even when people have rejected you. When people have left you, his love hasn't. That's so important, church. If you really knew that you were loved by God, you would never fear what one person thought about you. Almost done. Jason, from the team, want to come. Romans 8, 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption. <laughs> you have a, you've been adopted as sons and daughters of God. We have been adopted in Christ into the family of God, and we're at the Father's table. Fear doesn't have to rule or set the tone or determine what we can have and not have. I don't have to worry about what tomorrow brings because I have him with me. I know he's already there. We've, I could tell you story after story of moments where it could have been easy in my life to worry. You know what I'm saying? I never have. But I've, I've learned to trust him because I've seen him be faithful. And it's a lot easier to trust him now than it even was when I first said yes to Jesus because I've seen him come through time and time again. The last one is he gives us a sound mind. Philippians 4, verse 6. This is for anybody who's struggling to rest, to sleep at night, to have peace in your home, to have hope for the future. He says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. That, that includes the doctor's report. That includes the financial need. That includes the relationship that you don't know how it's going to change. You don't know how the prodigal is going to come home. You don't know how God could heal and restore this marriage. Be anxious for nothing. But what you should do is this. He says, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Instead of worrying, pray. And the peace of God, the result of that is the peace of God that passes all understanding will do something. It will guard your heart and guard your mind. Like that shield that Jason talked about, that shield of faith that every thought the enemy tries to send, that people try to say, 
<laughs> it's funny how this stuff will find its way to you. It just will. I remember when God made it clear, God spoke to us to move to Mason City to start a church in the fall of 2019. We go, okay, God, that looks like a really tough thing, but we know you'll make a way. And then we moved here in April 2020. We went from tough to, like, impossible. And I remember when we showed up, I forgot about this till the other day. I'm on Instagram, which is really a great place to be when you're discouraged. And I literally came across, I, I came to a post that someone I knew had posted. And literally, this is what he said. It's impossible to start a church. And then he listed four or five reasons. And every one of those reasons <laughs> were things that I had against me. And, and all of these things were like, you know, you don't have this, you don't have that. You know, none of these things can happen unless you have all these things. And I'm like wow, I don't have any of those things. It's amazing how arrows will find their way to you just when you're most vulnerable. But it's in those moments where we have a choice. Do I let fear hit its mark? Or do I believe and know, be persuaded that what God said he'll do, he'll do? And that the God who promised to be with me will be with me. He says, pray about everything. When the arrow comes, he says, don't be anxious. Pray. And God's peace will pass. All understanding will guard your heart and mind. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, whatever things are good, report. If there's anything virtuous or praiseworthy, meditate, focus, give your full attention to these things. What does that mean? Many times the reason we're being overcome by fear is because of where our focus is. We're defeating ourselves because we're preoccupied. We're feeding our fear instead of our faith. Do you know what I had to do? Listen, I, I'm not against social media and any of that stuff, but there's some moments where you just got to shut some stuff off and get in God's Word and go, okay, they said it's impossible. They, they, they said the relationship's over. They said the marriage is hopeless. They said that you'll never make, you'll, you'll, you'll never make it ahead. But what does God say? I told you there was somebody who had just been let go from their job a couple months ago. Right when that happened, God reminded them of a dream to start a business. Something they never would have started unless they were pushed out of the boat. <laughs> and now God's blessing them, opening doors. They're stepping into a God dream for their life. They could have had fear, but instead they found what God was going to do in the midst of that. Would you stand to your feet? Let me pray with you. Prayer team, if you come down too. The key to overcoming fear is knowing Jesus. Paul, even in prison at the end of his life, writes, I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded. He's able to keep what I've committed to him. 
I don't have to fear the future because I know who's got the future. I don't have to fear rejection when I'm accepted. I don't have to fear what might be or what might not be. I don't have to be paralyzed or pushed, but I can trust Jesus. It all starts with a yes to God. And I'm going to ask you right now, if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, we'll be done in just a moment. But I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Because it all starts there. It all starts with, you know, the disciples were in the boat and they panicked and they worried and they were afraid, but they had Jesus in the boat. And they ran to him. They said, we're going to perish. We're going to die. But they ran to Jesus. The only one who can silence the storm. The only one who could rebuke the wind and the waves. Do you have Jesus in your boat? In your life? If you don't, I want to give you that opportunity today to say yes to Jesus, not join a religion, not, not, not start a program, but to experience a relationship with God that changes your life forever. The Bible says that God sent His Son, Jesus. God so loved the world. He loved you. He loved me that He gave His best. Jesus came, died on the cross for me and for you. Heaven didn't say, I love you. Heaven showed it on a cross. As Jesus took our sin, took our shame, took our failure, took our fears, took all that had overcome us, and he nailed it to a tree. Jesus was buried in a tomb, and three days later, he rose from the grave. He rose from the grave, conquered sin, conquered death, conquered hell, conquered fear. And you and I can be free. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus right now, but you'd like to begin one, or maybe you've been far from God. You've said yes to Jesus at some point, but you've been far, you've been distant, and today you need a fresh start, you need a new beginning. If either of those are for you, right where you're at, just say, Brian, would you pray with me? I'm not going to call you forward, but right where you're at, you say, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. If that's you, would you simply raise your hand and say, would you pray with me? Say, I need Jesus in my life. I need a relationship with God. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. And I'm going to ask you to pray this with me and every Christian in the room to pray this with me. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Be my Savior. Be Lord of my life. I give my heart to you. I put my trust in you. I will not fear but I will believe you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're in here and you've been struggling with anxiety, fear, worry, whatever form it's taken, and you're ready to take a stand, you're ready to draw a dividing line and say, this is where fear stops. This is where it stops to have a hold in my life and in my family. I'm going to believe God. If you need prayer for that or anything else, you need prayer for healing, for freedom. You need a miracle in your family. We've, we've been seeing marriages restored, lives changed by the goodness and love of Jesus. If you need prayer, we want to pray with you. We're going to sing a song before we close. The rest of us, let's worship as they come. If you need prayer, come on down. Our team will
We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.